I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Mandy McReynolds, Global Head of ESG at WorkEva. We are talking about, to begin with, dynamic materiality. And I want you, first of all, Mandy, to explain to me what dynamic materiality is and why it matters. It was a term that was popularized in 2020 by the World Economic Forum. So as you think about your global footprint or global companies, it's the notion that we can't predict both financially as well as with ESG, with some of the environment, social, and governance factors, what exactly is going to happen. So think about COVID, think about unrest, think about war, think about some of the other risks and challenges and opportunities that can face companies. And the proposal was, how do we think about material topics, both for finance and environment, social and governance in a more fluid, more dynamic way? What are opportunities for us as a business to approach this, not necessarily as something that is static and will not change over the course of the next five to 10 years? And so it was pushing to think about how companies can flex and bend and better pulse check and better engage in material topics so that they can meet stakeholder demands from the investor to the consumer to their employees and who they've identified as their key stakeholders. Can I just say, it sounds to me like you're actually talking about the intelligent management of data. I would look at it a little bit that way, and especially because I'm a data-driven, decision-driven freak. (laughs) So I look at those moments, and I think you're exactly right. It's taking in the data from all of your different stakeholders, and it's looking at the opportunity to say, where is the direction of change going, and do our prioritizations need to change? If you look at ESG materiality assessments that are published right now in thousands of ESG reports, you can look at it and see that their top priorities are 20 or 50 items in some cases I've seen. Some are a little bit more strategic around 10 or 11. If you're not doing data to bring it into your system and continuously check on it, you are going to have an outweighing of prioritization. You also might find that some of these topics over the course of time may merge or investors may be thinking of them differently or consumers may be thinking of them differently and it's a higher priority. So a good example is during um, unrest within the U.S., you saw an increase in diversity, equity and inclusion as demands from employees and investors. Now today, when you pulse check materiality, you might find that investors and employees care more about employee well-being and mental health and how post a COVID transition, companies are managing their employee well-being as a whole to achieve alpha for their business. So it is a data-driven decision. It's taking in all those inputs from your stakeholders, and it's allowing you to have key prioritization over your top material topics. Is this something that companies should have been doing anyway? Because again, going back to to my point about it, it's about how you manage your data. Companies know a lot of things, but mostly they don't know that they know them. And those things they do know that they know, they don't manage very well. I think when you look at the field, and, and I'm talking particularly around ESG, it used to be that they would go out and do massive interviewing of stakeholders or massive surveys. Where Kiva did a survey of 1,300 practitioners in 13 global markets, many of where your listeners are from, from Southeast Asia to the European region to the U.S., 
And they found that the companies who were unlocking the most business value were actually doing materiality assessment more frequently. So on an annual to a six-month basis, some companies were even doing it on a quarterly basis. And the only way to do that is to really think about your data in one system and the way for it to be pull in and constantly be feeding your feedback. So if you think about a customer, how does your RFP system feed into your materiality assessment pulse checking? If you're looking at investors, how do investor interviews or ranking or ratings pull in to your ongoing evaluation of your material issues? Those are just two key examples where data has to become more relevant and at the fingertips in order to pulse check and be ready for the changes ahead. So how do we get stakeholder engagement to match materiality, for example? I think that you know innovation and automation is the way forward. You kind of hinted at that in your last question. The first is looking at linking technology, which exists in the market today. It's the ability for APIing those linkings into one platform, one system of record. The second thing is to increase the trust of the data. One of the issues that we found in the survey was uh, our, our practitioners are nervous about the amount of response and disclosure they're doing at a rapid pace. Materiality might fall into that category for some. And the reason for that is because the financial rigor that we've had for 100 years actually hasn't been necessarily applied to the ESG data. And so when you look at materiality assessment, and particularly in Europe, when we're talking about double materiality, your data has to have the controls and the rigor that you have with finance. So that's the second point. The third piece that we have to think about is how can AI advance our work together? So looking at social listening, looking at machine learning language development, what are the ways that that can begin to shape your impulse checking of stakeholders? So those are the top three things that I think innovation is going to help us with. It's the linking technology that exists today. It's the driving of putting the financial rigor onto environment social data. And the third part is just really thinking about how AI can change the game for how you are pulse checking your stakeholders. I want to underline one of those points. You mentioned financial rigor, imposing the same kind of rigor that we've we've had on, on financial data. It's not just a case of this is a nice to have. This is actually a got to have. Regulations are changing. The regulatory environment is changing. These things are going to be expected of financial institutions and companies, are they not? Absolutely. 100%. And I think that what investors and even consumers, or if you look at banking investors, are really wanting is data that they can trust. They want to be able to find it in a really easy place, whether that's on your website or a public disclosure, uh, like your filings, your integrated reporting. And they want to know that you have gone through the process of verification or audit or have begun that process for your company. And I think there's uh, two points that companies can start to make as they get on this journey is start today, pull your team together of your finance team, your ESG team, your risk and compliance team, begin to engage your board together as a team. It might go up to your audit committee or your full board, or it might go up to the non-gov committee. And then really think about as a team, what are the tools and the technology you need to bring everybody together and begin to put the controls in place to be ready 
for audit and assurance. And that journey can take some companies uh, as they integrate and get ready to go almost 18 months, well, if not more. There's two things at play here. The first is the stick and the second is the carrot. So the mm-hmm. stick that we apply to the company's backs is regulation is coming. You need to get involved with this. Your customers will expect it. Your suppliers will expect it. Your regulators will expect it. What's the carrot? What can we offer to a company and say, if you do this, this nice thing will happen for you? What's the nice thing? What's the benefit? What do I see as a corporate entity or as a financial institution? What's in it for me, in other words? Well, I dug into who was unlocking the most business value in that survey, because to me, that's that's really the alpha. Are they adding to customer value and retention and revenue streams with their with their ESG strategy and reporting? Are they advancing investor growth? Are they retaining employees? And what's interesting enough is those who are unlocking the most business value across all categories had a team assembled a person identified, and we're regularly, annually, if not more frequently doing materiality assessment like we talked about, and we're on a pathway with assurance and reporting. And I think that's the carrot. The carrot is if you want a license to operate, if you want to add alpha to your organization and begin to unlock business value, it's not waking up every day for a regulator to tell you what to do. It's waking up every day for your stakeholders to tell you what to do, because that's what's going to achieve alpha for your organization. And this is something that technology in general is actually helping with the resolution of. 100%. You are 100% accurate. The tech that exists today, the tech like companies like Workiva that has had a strong history in financial reporting, auditability, risk and assurance, they are right in the center of working with ESG teams and their finance teams and risk teams to bring it all together in one platform. I'll give you an idea. We didn't talk about this today, but I think this is this is where the future is going. As you have double materiality in Europe, companies are now going to be started to ask in two years, what's the financial impact of your ESG strategy and what's the societal impact of your ESG strategy? The only way forward for a company to be ready to answer that kind of impact question is if your financial data and your ESG data all exist in the same platform and you're able to correlate and look at causation together. So I think the future is only bright for the teams who can truly answer the impact question of both. Mandy McReynolds, Global Head of ESG at Workiva, thank you very much.